Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a lot to be anxious about in our world today. I know it. You know, we all know it. In fact, why don't we just take a moment, you can just shout it out. What are some of the things that folks are anxious about in our world today? Just go ahead, shout out. What are some of the... Inflation. Guns. Guns. War. War. Pandemic. Uh, Gas prices, I think somebody said, right? It's gotten a little bit better. There's any number of things that people are anxious about and worrying about in the world out there. And that doesn't even touch on the particular personal things that you are dealing with. The stuff that maybe nobody else knows about. Whether it be those little trivial annoyances or the big stuff. The stuff that keeps you awake at night. There is so much to be anxious about. And then Jesus comes along and he has the gall, the gumption, the audacity to give this command to you and me. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Uh, first, when you hear that, it sounds like this might be one of the most impossible of all of the commands that Jesus has to say. Don't be anxious? Really, Lord? How's it even possible? It's like that infamous command when somebody says, all right, don't think about a pink elephant, right? It's too late, right? Do not be anxious. When you hear it, at first blush, Jesus comes off as either some kind of like rosy-eyed, naive idealist who is just not in touch with the real world at all, or on the other hand, he comes off as some careless, unsympathetic aristocrat who's just divorced from actual reality, who's able to say from on high, don't worry down there, and we're like, it must be nice from up there. In point of fact, spoiler alert, Jesus is not either of those things. He's neither the rosy-eyed idealist nor the unsympathetic aristocrat. And the word that he speaks here that sounds like this pitiless command is in fact a word of grace. And what Jesus is doing here is he's inviting you and me into a transformation of our imagination. He's inviting you and me to a transformation of our imagination in order to see the world differently from the perspective of his gracious reign and rule. To get there, we need to start with some consideration. So consider this. Consider this, Jesus says, birds. Now, I have done an exhaustive search, and there are no birds that have 401ks. It's true. Not a single one has a bank account. Most of them don't even have refrigerators. Uh, because they're birds. You guys didn't laugh at that. Most, okay, anyway. Um, <clears throat> but your heavenly Father, Jesus tells us, He cares for each and every one. He's like that crazy old lady with the hat full of bird seed, making sure that He feeds every single one each and every day. Birds, people. Birds. Even ravens. Or consider this. Lilies. Now again, there are no lily-employed sweatshops out in the world there. Lilies are not standing in front of the mirrors adoring themselves and saying how beautiful they look. No, because they are flowers, people. Of course that doesn't happen. And yet, these blossoms are adorned so beautifully it'd make Beyonce blush. Or for you older folks, Joan Rivers, right? You remember Joan Rivers? (laughs) 
This is how God works. Lilies. Let's go further still. Consider this. The earth is slanted at an angle of 23 degrees. And people who know about this sort of thing say that if it were not at that exact angle, we wouldn't be able to have seasons. And some of you are like, I could take or leave winter, but stay with me here. Because not only would we not have seasons, but all of the continents of creation would just be heaping piles of ice if we were not slanted just so. Or consider this, if the moon were not at precisely the distance that it is away from the earth, the tides would be so large that they would subsume not only Arcadia and every city that happens to be on the coastline, but also all of Colorado would suddenly be beachfront property and indeed underwater. Or consider this, consider this, that if the earth was just 10 feet thicker, if the crust of the earth were just 10 feet thicker, about this much, than it is right now, there would be no oxygen on earth and thus no human or animal life. Or consider this, the sun. Every square yard of the sun's surface produces approximately 130,000 horsepower. Every square yard. That's about 450 Cadillacs, which I knew you guys could already do that math on it. But anyway, the sun, though, meanwhile, the sun is just one minor star in the 100 billion orbs that make up the Milky Way. So that if you were to hold a dime, just a dime, if you were to hold a dime at arm's length and you had superhuman sight, you would actually be blocking out 15 million stars, not unlike our sun. Consider that. And yet consider this. There is a groundswell, groundswell of physicists that are now saying that the universe looks suspiciously like the whole thing is rigged. The whole thing is rigged for the flourishing of human beings. I'm not making this stuff up. There's an actual name for it. Some of you know it. It's called the Anthropic Principle. The Anthropic Principle, that everything that exists in creation, it appears to be fine-tuned for the existence of humans. And not just for our existence, but for our flourishing. One scientist puts it this way, there is a preponderance of physical evidence that points to humanity as the central theme of the cosmos. As the psalmist said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? How could God care about us when we are so very small? Well, some people say, actually, he doesn't. And maybe that's the solution to anxiety and worry. There's a guy by the name of Oliver Berkman, and he wrote this book this past year called 4,000 Weeks. And the uh, subtitle, I love it, it's Time Management for Mortals. 4,000 weeks is about 80 years, right? So what we all get, give or take, a couple hundred weeks, perhaps. And in this book, he says that, you know what, the solution to all of our anxiety and our worry, yeah, when we look at all the vastness of everything, it should lead you to what he calls cosmic insignificance therapy. Hmm. Cosmic insignificance therapy. What is cosmic insignificance therapy, you ask? CIT, for those of you scoring at home. <clears throat> he says this, when things all seem too much, what better solace than a reminder that they are, provided you're willing to zoom out a bit, indistinguishable from nothing at all? The anxieties that clutter the average life, relationship troubles, status rivalries, money worries, 
shrink instantly down to irrelevance. The cosmos carries on regardless, calm and imperturbable. To remember how little you matter on a cosmic time scale can feel like putting down a heavy burden that most of us didn't realize we were carrying in the first place. Cosmic insignificance therapy is an invitation to face the truth about your irrelevance in the grand scheme of things. Thus ends the reading. <clears throat> uh, encouraging words, right? Sort of, not exactly, but I want to say that Mr. Berkman is not so far from the kingdom. After all, he is certainly true that we could use a little bit of perspective, that our worries, our troubles, the things that we are so bothered about, that in fact, if we were to look at it across all of history and across the, the vastness of the universe, we'd have to say, yeah, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But is that the message of the gospel? It's almost exactly the opposite. Not that in view of the, the glories and the abundance of creation that you and I don't matter, that we are cosmically insignificant. The gospel tells us that, yes, there is all of this vastness, all of this beauty, all of this wonder, but the greater wonder still is that despite all of that, God knows and loves you personally. The gospel is cosmic significance therapy, see? That the God of all creation, he is able to see among, amongst all of the multifarious creatures in the world to see and to know you intimately, personally. All the days of your life have already been counted out and written in his book. All the hairs of your head already have been numbered. That's how our God knows you and me. What is man that you care for him? And yet, he does. He does. But there's still more to say. Because not only do we have this comfort that the God of creation knows us, has made us, cares about us, but even further still, when this glorious creation went awry, God didn't stand back and say, well, you guys had a chance, you blew it. But instead, he sends forth his son into our frail human flesh, the Son of God who is not divorced from this creation, but instead has wedded himself to it for better or for worse. See, Christ Jesus stared down the real source of all of our anxiety and fear, the thing that ultimately does keep us up at night, which is the fact that we are frail, mortal creatures, the fact that we will die. Jesus stares down the grave and instead of fleeing from it, goes down right into it and comes out the other side. That is why he is able to say to you and me, don't be anxious. He's not just some sentimentalist. He knows full well how the story ends and that it ends well. And so St. Paul can write in his letter to the Romans, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Consider that. Listen, I don't know what it is that you are anxious about, what it is that's keeping you up at night, that feels like some storm cloud on the horizon. I don't know, but the Lord does. Psalm 139 says, search me and know my heart, O God, and see if there be any anxious thought in me. He sees those anxious thoughts, and still he says, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. 
hear this not as a command, but as an invitation. An invitation from the Lord of the cosmos who truly knows, who's now inviting you and me to see our lives as those who are beloved of God. He's inviting us to believe that we truly are his children. He's inviting you and me to see our lives from the perspective of his gracious reign and rule. He's inviting us to hear this word and to hold it fast in our hearts. Have no fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's plenty of things that we could be anxious about. But in view of Jesus' death, his resurrection, his love for you and me, all things considered, we're doing okay. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.